Injury takes you out of the game. It's time for your team to step up. At Alina Health Orthopedics, you'll get expert care backed by a whole health system of providers with convenient locations, virtual options, and an app that gives you 24-7 access to your records, test results, and care team. You're always close to the care that you need. Schedule now at alinahealth.org slash ortho. I'm Michael Boxall, and you're listening to The Sound of the Loons. afternoon or evening depending on when this finds you welcome to the sound of the loons podcast i'm steve mcpherson and i am so glad to once again be hanging out with cal williams here on the pod cal it's been a minute i think we've played like eight games since we did uh, a sound of the loons together i feel like i had i had new mnufc ceo sherry ballard on and then we've just had uh wreckage of games uh recently so um you've been flying you've been like going to miami and stuff like that tell me tell me a little bit about your whirlwind life right now (laughs) well the whirlwind is a little more easy to deal with this week just one game this week steve which is is nice the away game at houston which i'm sure we'll get into at some stage yeah um you know having three games in seven days is never easy from a minnesota united perspective but then i can only blame myself for adding more work on top of that with uh, the Comedor Libertadores reaching the quarterfinal stages and what have you. So, um, yeah, last week was was very, very busy. Um, and I was chatting to a couple of other commentators about this in terms of what's the right amount of games you can do in a week? Because I don't remember doing four games in a week. I, I couldn't tell you the last time I did that many in one week. I think three is a healthy amount. I think four given the um given the large um country that we live in i think four is probably a little bit too much mm-hmm. um if you're flying around to different stadiums and different studios i, I think it's it's it certainly it's going to take some getting used to if i'm going to end up doing that but we'll wait and see uh, either way it was very enjoyable i'm sitting here complaining but at the end of the day i'm getting paid to be a football commentator so it it was um, it was exhausting, but the, the week was was sensational. Steve, I had a lot of fun with a lot of very nice people uh, talking about football from various different continents, and it was great. It was really enjoyable. Uh, but I am glad now that we've got just this one game this week for sure. How are things with you? How how was your world last week? I just just crazy. I mean, a lot of it's it's it was the Tuesday game really threw me off. Like I'm, you know, Wednesday is a short turnaround, but Tuesday is, is ridiculous when you play it on Saturday, especially cause you're sort of used to, you know, Saturday, even if you have a Wednesday game, Sunday can kind of take your foot off the gas. But I was like working on Sunday, like, you know, like setting stuff up to go yeah. for the next week. And it was a little bit, uh, it was, it was a little bit much. And I agree. I think that, I mean, I'm sure it's even harder when you have to talk live about the game, the more, it, the tighter the games come, I feel like it just dulls your sensitivity to it a little bit. And it, 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 it's a, it's a little less, you're a little less able to just be present in the moment because you've seen so much of, of the same thing that you end up sort of, 
going on autopilot a little bit. And I think that that's, mm. um, it's not the way that anybody, not that I would ever accuse you of going on autopilot, but you know, like I, I know for me that when it gets really thick, like, you know, if you have, um, you know, open cup games and you know, like we're not, we're not at this season, but when that stuff happens, it's like, okay, I've seen these players play a whole lot and they're doing the stuff they always do. And it, it can be easy to forget that not everybody is, is as familiar with it as you. So sometimes I think that it's good to have a little pace, a little, a little space, uh, just like playing the game of soccer, you know, like just open things up a little bit and make sure that you're approaching everything with a the beginner's mind, so to speak of, uh, of Zen Buddhism is, is, is how I would like to approach it. Um, yeah, I, wanted, I, I think so. Yeah. I think so, Steve. I think it's important to, to have something, uh, fresh from time to time as well. Um, and uh, it's yeah, it, it was a really really uh, busy week to say the least. The thing that really made it difficult for me was because we were playing the game on Tuesday, which is awkward anyway, as you suggested. Um, because of the time difference, because it was a West Coast game, and we're back to calling games off Monitor and Minneapolis um, and St. Paul. Uh, we got off the air at what was it, twelve thirty, one o'clock or oh, something. Yeah. Um, and then I had to be at the airport then at five or six a.m. the next day. So that was that was not fun. But again, I can only blame myself, you know, and and. You know, it is an interesting period when you've got those that amount of work in that that time frame, and um, because you have to ask yourself, at what point does quality tend to quantity? You know, yeah. um, and you got to be careful for sure. But uh, look, it, it is what it is. I'm, I'm sitting here complaining, but at the end of the day, I'm, I'm very, very fortunate. Um, those watching the video version of this will see I'm, I'm soundproofing a little my new little studio here as well. So, uh, lots more stuff coming up, which I'm looking forward to telling people about over the course of the next few weeks. But um, right now, Steve. It's nice to just take a little bit of a breath and just look forward to this coming game against Houston. But I suspect we'll want to talk about the last week for sure. Yes, we'll get to that too. I also wanted to start off this uh, this news came through uh, as I was prepping for the podcast. Rest in peace, Charlie Watts, drummer yeah. for the Rolling Stones. I mean, one of the best drummers in rock history and one of the coolest guys ever to be surrounded by guys as cool as Mick Jagger and Keith Richards and kind of make them look like jerks because you're so much cooler. You're so much more laid back than those guys. Charlie Watts, amazing guy, uh, you know, British band, obviously. So I'm sure you have your, uh, your favorite Rolling Stones tracks or albums. What's uh, you know, what, what really does it for you when it comes to the Rolling Stones, the classics, do you have the deep cuts? Like what, what are you into? Uh, I love the uh, satisfaction. I can't get no satisfaction. Um, that's just just the tune, isn't it? Just an absolutely wonderful song. A um, couple of other ones, you know, like uh, Tumbling Dice. Great song as well, I think. Um, mm-hmm. There's been a couple, Steve, but the, the one that I can always remember is is, um, is I Can't Get No Satisfaction, I guess is the appropriate title for it. That, that whenever yeah. you hear the first opening few tunes on the guitar, the first few strums, like oh yeah here we go here we go what, what a tune yeah. so yeah yeah obviously you know rest in peace um another music legend leaving us too soon for sure yeah he i i was always um i've always been more of an albums guy and one of the things that's kind of odd about the stones is they're sort of more of a singles band in a lot of ways uh for a lot of their uh their career you know they it's sort of like these these single songs they don't have like a uh, i mean not that they don't have but like you think about the beatles with like Rubber Soul, you know, Revolver, uh, Sergeant Peppers, like these sort of different like albums that define different, you know, parts of their repertoire. Um, it doesn't, it, the Stones aren't, aren't quite the same way. They've been around forever. They had a ton of great songs. I really love that back to back 
Exile on Main Street and Sticky Fingers combination. Those two records are just incredible, uh, featuring Mick Taylor, who's an amazing uh, blues guitarist who was with the band for a while. Um, and yeah, those are those are my go-to. So Tumbling Dice is there on Exile on Main Street. Um, mm. There's a ton of good stuff. Um, can't you hear me knocking on Sticky Fingers? There's uh, yeah. too much good stuff. So, so and again, the one, the, the one I forgot. Sorry, so the one that I forgot of because I think it's an obvious choice, but it's such a great song as Gimme Shelter as well. Yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. Absolutely amazing song. Again, one that you 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 hear the again the the first couple of chords and you're like, yeah, I know it's a, it's instantly recognizable, you know. And and I think if you can instantly recognize a song by the first couple of chords, you you, you can essentially identify it as somewhat of a masterpiece, in my opinion. And and yeah. Gibby Shelter is is an, I mean, it's been used in so many different movies and everything, hasn't it? You know, so that. But again, I, I don't know if that's a bit too obvious to say. But anyway, that that's that's certainly up there as well for sure. Well, I don't think you know the thing with the Stones is that there's no. You know, they don't have to be too, it's not too obvious. Their their songs are so, you know, omnipresent <clears throat> in culture, like you said, in movies and things like that. I mean, they're not like a subtle band. They're <laughs> they're very good at what they do. Again, like you're saying, you know, with with uh satisfaction, or you think about like brown sugar, like those guitarists that are like that sound that open, and we're gonna go a little music here, that open G sound that Keith Richards has with the suspended chords there, sort of like teasing the four chord out of the one chord. You might not know what I'm saying, but you know what I'm you know what I'm talking about. It's the beginning of Brown Sugar, and that has become such a signature. There are so many bands like the Black Crows that use that. There's they just influenced so many bands. They're just you know titans. So you know they'll never be the same without Charlie Watts. At the same time, I hope they still can tour, and because you know I have never seen them live, but I have heard that they're incredible live still. So um, so you know rest in peace, Charlie Watts. Quick other musical shout out this week. Um, there's a band called Deaf Heaven, which I don't presume Cal you have are familiar with. You don't strike me as a metal guy, but uh, Deaf Heaven have been a, a critical critical darlings of sort of not like the metal scene, but they're sort of a metal band. Um, they had a, an album called Sunbather that's quite good. Um, very beautiful tracks, but then the singing is like this guttural howl stuff. And I've always sort of been like, yeah, it's it's cool, it's fine. They have a new album called Infinite Granite that just came out, and they sort of took a complete left turn with the vocals, and they've become kind of croony and new wave, but still with a lot of that sort of metal energy. It's sort of tilted all the way into shoegaze, but I uh, strongly recommend checking out the new Deaf Heaven record uh, for you, Cal, or anybody else. It's it's It sounds big, and it sounds great, and there's not too much screaming on it there's some good there's some good singing so that's my recommendation and now we can talk about soccer should we talk about soccer let's do that um let's start with uh before we get to last week let's talk about the all-star game uh the mls all-star game which is happening tomorrow uh unfortunately as news is coming out emmanuel reynoso is out for that um he's been nursing a lot of injuries he's also out for the game against houston coming up for minnesota united so he won't be able to we won't be able to see him in uh the all-star game uh but it's still looking to be a really fun uh match and i'm planning on watching it i think that the the concept the mls all-stars versus the liga mx all-stars is just going to make for some great uh fun television especially with guys in mls who are uh liga mx veterans and there's there's sort of there's some stakes on the line we've talked a little bit about it before but you know for anybody who hasn't been tuning in cal give us a little bit on what you're expecting out of the all-star game I think it's going to be a really, really interesting game, Steve, because for the last, I would say, mostly the last five years than ever before in Major League Soccer, there has been this continuation of, of progress for sure in the league. The 
the argument has always been that the league is getting closer and closer to that of Liga MX, which which for me um, it still is a better league than, than Major League Soccer in terms of, of quality um, on the field. Off the field, I think Major League Soccer uh, is leaps and bounds ahead of, of Liga MX in terms of, of television deals, in terms of stadiums, facilities and what have you. But just in terms of the, the generic football experience, whether that's the quality on the field, uh, the fan bases and what have you, as good as our fan bases are here, Liga MX is, is still there because it's been around for 50, 60 more years than Major League Soccer, sure. so yeah. it's had time. Um, but but the, the suggestion is is that the, the quality of, of play um, here in North America is catching up to, um, to Liga MX. And um, I, I have to say I agree with that. Um, I, I've certainly over the last couple of years, Steve, I've watched a lot more Liga MX than I ever have done uh, in my, my life. And, um, you know, you... You watch the bigger teams, um, you know, like a Chivas Guadalajara or a Club America, someone like that. Um, uh, they are sensational. They are wonderful teams um, that you see consistently competing in um, Club World Cups. Uh, not too long ago, they were in the Libertadores and getting to the finals on a regular basis. Um, teams like Tigres and Puebla uh, are brilliant. Um and I think there's a separation there between Liga MX and, and MLS. But if you were to put, um, you know, uh, an MLS team up against a mid-table team or, or, you know, a team that's perhaps not vying for the, the title in Liga MX, I don't think there's there's that much difference between the top teams in MLS and, and the teams I've just suggested in, in Liga MX. Um, the gap's getting closer. Um, the CONCACAF Champions League is an example of that, um, where, again, I will always say Liga MX is better at the moment. Um, but the, the gap in quality is, is closing for sure. And as I said, the, the consistency of having MLS teams reach the latter stages of the tournament continues. Um, and it's only going to get bigger and better as well. So I, I'm looking forward to it, Steve, because I think it's obvious that, that the two leagues are trying to come together and um, continue a relationship that has already already sparked. Um, and this is all obviously with the, the 2026 World Cup in mind. Uh, and for those who right. live under a rock, of course, the World Cup in 26 <laughs> will be hosted in Canada, the United States and Mexico. Um, and obviously we, we've got the League's Cup as well, which has become a tournament um, of, of a certain level of importance for, for certain teams as well, um, where it's, it's MLS against Liga MX and, and there is this rivalry starting to, to really, really build. And, and I think there's always been a rivalry, particularly from the American side of it, from the North American side of it, Steve. But but now because of, of the improvements of Major League Soccer, I think the, for, for the first time ever, maybe, those in Liga MX are starting to view Major League Soccer as somewhat of a threat. Um, and there's a lot of money in this league as well as a lot of money in Liga MX, of course. But um, we are seeing players coming here that perhaps would have gone to Liga MX in the past and, mm -hmm. and still vice versa as well. You know, there's still a lot of money in Liga MX and it's a very, very attractive league. Um, but it, I think more than anything, Steve, I'm just looking forward to, to seeing how, how it is from a competition point of view. Um, you know, the MLS All-Star game has, in, in years gone by, has always been a celebration of the league. It's, and it still will be a celebration of the league, but I, I think there'll be a competitive edge to this one, more so than, than previous ones. Mm -hmm. Um and, and, I, and I only say that because of that that rivalry that, that exists between soccer fans in the United States and Canada and Mexico. So 
Um, I'm excited, Steve. I, I'm really looking forward to seeing some of the some of the, the players from from both sides. Um, you know, if, if you're asking me to pick out one individual right now, I, I, I love Gignac from from Tigres uh, Liga MX. He's a pest, um, and and has scored goals wherever he's been. He's scored an abundance of goals in Liga MX, and, and I'm, I'm sure will be a handful uh, on Wednesday. Uh, Lucas Elarajan from Columbus Crew for um, MLS All Stars. I'm looking forward to seeing as well. The, these are players that have played in Mexico and, and have jumped over to Major League Soccer as well. So mm-hmm. um, I'm excited, Steve. I really can't wait. The fact it's in LA as well, it, it adds that bit of glitz and glamour to it as well. It's yeah. an appropriate geographical location for this game as well, given the, the culture of the city as well. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited, Steve. I, I always look forward to the All-Star game for sure, because as I said earlier on, it, it is a celebration of the league and how far it's come for sure. But it, it does feel as though there's something different about this one. It's just that there really is a competitive edge. So I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait. Yeah, I'm hoping that it's, you know, I think that, and, and this happens to a lot of All-Star games, um, it's very exciting to consider as it comes up to it. And then often the game starts and you're like in it for a little while. And then you're, you're I feel like my attention drifts because there aren't those stakes, you know. So I'm hoping that there's a little more bite out there on the field to keep you sort of engaged and that it's it's a good game um so i'm definitely i'm definitely looking forward to it and as always i always look forward to watching a soccer game that i don't have to write about um because you know most of the time i'm watching minnesota united and so i have to spend a lot of time like thinking about what is happening and analyzing sometimes i should just turn off and watch a game and just enjoy it for what it is. See some players I haven't seen that much as far as Liga MX. So it's going to be great. Let's let's move to Minnesota United stuff. Um, and we're going to talk about this past week, these two draws, um, which, you know, outwardly similar games in a lot of respects. I think there's some things that they're actually fairly different games in a lot of ways as well. Um, I'm going to start with my, I don't know if this is a controversial take. I'm not sure what the soccer world feels overall. I don't find 11 v 10 games that good. I think they're kind of not fun to watch. Um, I think that sometimes, to my mind, when you have, you know, two full strength teams going at it, it's like your strength against my strength. Like I'm trying to make you do something you don't want to do. You're trying to make me do something I don't want to do. It's a clash of tactics. It's a clash of philosophies. It's a clash of talent and players. When one of those, when a player is is taken off as it happened against San Jose and then again against Sporting KC, um, you know, the team that loses a man just starts to kind of like sag back and hold, hold down the fort. Um, So much of their energy goes to preventing the other team from doing what they want. And so little of it goes to them trying to do what they want that I feel like, you know, and the fans begin to feel like, well, you have to come away with a result. You have to do this. You can't concede. If you concede a goal up a man, like what the hell is wrong with you? It just feels like it tilts everything in this direction that like there, you want this, you sort of assume what the conclusion will be. And then everything that doesn't happen. And I'm not just talking about these two games, which are obviously disappointing in a, in a particular way, but we've seen it happen before, you know, Minnesota United went up a man against Atlanta way back in 2017. Who's with me toward the end of the season. Um, we're winning and then we're losing and then came back and won in the end. Like it's far from a foregone conclusion that it's like a, a, being up a man is just this absolute advantage. Like the other team just shuts down. And I didn't really enjoy watching either of these games just from a tactics point of view. Yeah. Um, so before I go into that, Steve, sorry, I, I'm just looking at the Liga MX All-Star roster and realize that Gignac is not in it anymore. Oh, so I'm going okay. to change my, my individual player to watch. And it might be slightly controversial, but I'm going to go for Funes Mori of Monterey, who okay. is exceptional. So that's the one to watch. Sorry. Um, right. <laughs> right. So 
obviously there was a real, real element of frustration over the course of, of the last two games um, where Minnesota were up against two teams that went down to 10 men. When, when a team goes down to 10 men, it changes the infrastructure of, of that, that team. It changes the setup of that team. You've spent all week, or, or in, in this case, the last several days, prepping for, prepping for how to play against the 11 men of whoever the opposition is. When it goes to 10 men, more often than not, Steve, it does force that team to manoeuvre into somewhat of a defensive shell, especially if they're on the road as well. Um, Kansas City were this past weekend. Um, and the only way that you, as the team with 10 men there, can really get the better of the opposing team with 11 is to counter-press and is to, to get a goal through set pieces because it's very difficult, given you've got the, the less man advantage, very difficult to move the ball through midfield um, and, and move it through passing lanes as you would in the past because you've, you've got one less man, so it's difficult. Um, so what happened in San Jose was similar to what happened in Kansas City. Um, straight away, they went into a, a defensive shell Um and I'll use the latest game as an example. When um, when Kemi Valtel was was sent off, um, the two the two higher central midfielders uh, in Kinder and Duke much deeper uh, to to protect the the back line, um, and they were looking to to break out as quickly as they could um, in the wide areas, and and that's what they tried to do. You'll notice there were so many times. Um, when Gabi Kinder uh, and Cam Duke and the centre half as well, particularly Ilya Sanchez, uh, would get the ball and, and would ping the ball forward uh, in, in a direct manner and, and, and thrust it forward 30, 40 yards up towards Shelton or Russell or somebody along those lines. And Polito was forced to drop a little deeper than he usually does as well because of it. So mm-hmm. it just made things a bit more difficult um, because they, they, they really sat back in their shape. Minnesota, I thought, were, were excellent in terms of creating chances again, um, which is uh, so difficult to do when a team has to operate that defensively minded because they are down to 10 men. I thought Minnesota did so well to, to create the chances they did. We all know what the issue is, and, and we as club employees do not need to dance around this issue as well. We all know what the issue is. They, they simply don't have anybody at the moment that is confident enough in front of goal to put it away on a regular basis. Um, and and that showed again. It was what twenty-one shots, I think, against KC. Mm-hmm. Um, not the first time Minnesota have had over twenty shots in a game this year, and and have come out without a positive result. So um, it, it's an issue for sure. Um, and perhaps we'll dive deeper into it later on, Steve. But the the ten men for sure can cause problems. Uh, and the natural instinct is to think, oh, well, obviously Minnesota should, should beat this team now because they've got a man advantage. And there's, there's arguments towards that. There's, there's certainly evidence to suggest that for sure. But um, I think um, particularly um, when the, uh, the team that's down to 10 men's on the road, it's a bit more difficult. But the one that was baffling to me was, was San Jose because um, Minnesota were, were, were set up in a certain way anyway. And again, they created chances. And again, they forced the goalkeeper into saves and they hit the woodwork and what have you, you know. And um, that, that was the one for me because um, San Jose at, at, at home, it's, it's on them to, to press. And, and they did, um, regardless of, of whether they were down to 10 men or not. But they had flashes and glimpses for sure. But 
Um, that that's the one that puzzled me more than anything was the San Jose one because, as I said, I understand if you're away from the road, you, if you're away from home, sorry, you, you're going to be you're going to be more defensively minded anyway. Uh, and Kansas City did that in capital letters um, when they came to Allianz Field last weekend. So um, frustrating. I spoke to Adrian Heath this morning up at Blaine at, at the training facility, and I think there is an overriding sense of, of frustration and missed opportunity just because. Um, against the Galaxy as well. Minnesota, again, had ample chances. And there's nothing you can do about it when you run into a goalkeeper who's, who's having that kind of day. You could still be playing now and, and you wouldn't score. You know, it's just that, one of those games, you know. Um, but it does feel as though um, that they haven't gotten from the last three games what they deserve. And had they have gotten the results that they deserve, they'd be alongside LA Galaxy and Colorado now comfortably in that top four, which, which is the ultimate aim. You know, they want to host a playoff game. The top four is the aim for this team. Um, and because of some of the results that they've gotten over the last few weeks, it, it makes now some of the, the forthcoming games, and I'll start with this weekend away at Houston, it makes them so much more important than they really should have been at this stage of the season. Yeah, it's... Um... The the game against San Jose Cal, like I sort like as I sort of said, I thought that they look outwardly similar, but there's a lot that's going on between those games that are very different. One is on the road, one is at home. Um, one is, I mean, they were both on short rest, but the San Jose one seemed particularly brutal in terms of the amount of rest. And I think you really saw that in the second half because um, again, there was not that patience, there was not that sense of moving the ball around. It looked like it was just like, let's just get it forward and just like overwhelm them, but they didn't really have the energy to sort of sort of finish that. Um, you know, the, the expected goals, um, again, sort of tell the tale there. I think that against uh, San Jose, the expected goals was uh, 1.28. So, you know, uh, the expected goals against SKC was 3.06. So over three expected goals and then coming away with nothing. You can see in those opportunities that were fantastic opportunities that went, that went begging. Um, that's really difficult. And like you said, I mean, I, I wrote it in a, a article earlier this week like it's no secret like finishing is the problem there's not it's not happening um it's a little tough to know what to do with with that fact i think for adrian heath which is probably part of what's what's frustrating um because you know one of the things you see and like obviously there's plenty of different chatter that goes on but one thing that people uh, will complain about is like oh you know the team that went out there like how do you why would you pick this lineup and it's like that's who they have. Like <laughs> they don't have Lud, they don't have Fragapane, they don't have Nico Hansen. Especially not having Lud and Fragapane is so difficult. Lud has six goals. He's the the no other player has more than two. He is responsible for more than a quarter of the team's goals. Minnesota United is the lowest scoring team that's above the playoff line right now. Um, just 22 goals in the year. Uh, Fragapane, who's only played six games before being injured, he only took two shots and he scored two goals. That were shots that were on target. Like having him out there, if he had been producing regularly, he could be up there with Lud. I think. I think we could expect Fragapane to be in that you know four, five, six goal range. L losing those guys is particularly tough. It becomes doubly tough because the guys that they do have, um, you know, you've, you've had to move Hassani Dotson onto the left wing, which is not his best spot. Uh, he's much better in, 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 in midfield, but you need him out there because we, you don't have a guy so far who you can say, I can trust you for 90 minutes to be out there and play on the left wing. Um, Ethan Finley has been having a down year overall. Um, not as productive. Obviously, Adrian Anu is, is not scoring. Um, 
all of those guys to some extent are leaving goals on the table and it's making even Reynoso, who is a fantastic in terms of his assist rate and creates a lot for people. He's also, he's, he has a ton of shots and not a ton of goals to show for it. So you've just got this front four. That's like, they're not productive right now. And it's not clear. You're as you said, this game coming up against Houston is important, but you've also got two weeks on the back of this game to get guys healthy. Like this Houston game is going to be real unusual. Um, we're going to, we're going to get into that as we, as we come up to that. The other thing I wanted to mention that, I, for, okay. <clears throat> two other things that I, I was sort of taking notes as you were talking. Um, we can't bypass the, the sporting Kansas city game without mentioning Tim Melia and the delay uh, tactics, which I do not, I do not blame Melia for. If you go down a man, you play to muck it up. And Peter Vermees has a side that is trained to do that. Like every one of those guys knew that was the, that was the, that was the goal. You know, when, when they go down a man, they're going to, they're going to play slow. They're going to, they're going to, they're going to try to slow everything down as much as possible. The referee in that situation has to take care of that. Like you have to stop that early. It's ridiculous how long Tim Melia was holding the ball out there and the referee just let him do it. I just have to say that it was dumb. So fix that. That's what I have to say about that. Um, I think that's what I have to say. I don't know what you have to say. <laughs> I mean, look, it, it, if it was the other way around, Steve, we wouldn't be saying anything. You know, it's just a part of the game. Um, yeah. It's a tactic that obviously works. It irritates, it frustrates, it annoys, um, and it, it can disrupt the, the rhythm of the opponent for sure. And that's exactly what it, what it did against, um, against Minnesota. So, um, look, a, a few things, just going back to, to what you were, you were saying just prior to the Amelia thing. And by the way, Amelia, yeah, had a, had a, a great game. He made some really good saves again. And yeah. I still, for the life of me, can't believe he hasn't got a U.S. call-up at some stage. It's been probably a bit yeah. too late for him now at the age of 35. But certainly those, remember those first few years, sort of 20 16, 17, and he, and he didn't get into the Gold Cup roster. I, I thought that was pretty strange. But anyway, yeah. that's another debate for another day. Um, Dalton on the left-hand side, obviously not his um, not his natural position. I understood it against Casey, um, and here's why. Because Kansas City, prior to the red card, they were playing a singular six in Volta. And when you play a singular six and you've got the two other central midfielders ahead of you operating in, in an eight role. When you've got a singular six, you've got space either side. And because of the way Minnesota play with the overlapping fullbacks, and it, when all bodies are available and healthy and the inverted wingers, it works. Against a singular six, it does because there's space either side. I think if Minnesota had a full complement of players, if, if Robin Lurd and, and Franco Fragapane were available, I think it would have caused them chaos. And it did already. When you think back uh, to the playoff game last year, Kevin Molino was playing on that left-hand side in that inverted role, and he caused chaos at Children's Mercy Park that day. Um, so I understood why Dotson w- w- was was placed out there for the KC game because um, he is favoured on the right foot. He he will naturally tuck in anyway because he's not a wide player. And when you've got Chase Gasper overlapping on that far side, again him tucking in to pull the, the opposing fullback inside. Is of value anyway, so I understood it there, Steve. Um, the last couple of games, though, um, in terms of scoring goals, it's obviously an issue for Minnesota at the moment. And I'm not suggesting they don't have an answer already uh, on the team because I, 
I think if you give him enough service, I think Adrian Unu can, can score a couple of goals in this league. My issue with it, Steve, is, and I've said this on several different platforms now, I'm not convinced he's a centre-forward. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember saying on this platform, um, on this very podcast, when it was, it was clear that the signing was, was about to be made or, or had been made, um, saying that, yep, he's going to be the pressing forward that they're looking for. Um, so let me, let me retract that and let me go back to a, a couple of weeks prior to this. So when, when Minnesota, when, when I had gotten wind that, that Unu was a potential signing and that it was, it was you know, a fee had been agreed and there was, there was movements, straight away I went and had a look online and, and looked at some videos and what have you and, 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 and instantly got excited because there's, there's no real low lights on, on YouTube and what have you either. So you, you only see the good side of people. Um, whilst there was evidence of him playing in a front four and a front two, uh, and clearly he can cause some problems in front of goal. There wasn't much in terms of the build-up. There wasn't much in terms of where he operates naturally. When you do a bit more research and you go back and have a look, the the suggestion before when he signed was, oh, well, he's only got 38 goals in seven seasons. You know, he can't really be that much of a goal scorer. That's because of, of two things. Number one, he was playing on the left-hand side of a 4-3-3 and also um, a 4-2-3-1. And then when he was playing centrally, he was playing as a supporting striker. And what I mean by a supporting striker, Steve, is somebody who plays off of a target man, somebody who plays off of the central forward, the, the, the focal point, the, the number nine. Um, and I think, honestly, that may be where he's best suited. Um, and, and I say this for a number of different reasons. Um his movement in the box, for me, it, it looks slightly forced. And by the way, I'm not saying he can't work here, by the way, because I think he can, but, but I'm just saying what I've seen over the last couple of games. Um, there was a game, I think it was the Galaxy game, when he came off for Juan Agudelo. And it was obviously late in the second half, and Gasser put a ball across, and instantly Agudelo latched onto it at the near post, and I think just poked it wide. And I thought to myself, that positioning and that movement is reminiscent of what a centre-forward should be doing because that's, that's Agudelo's natural position. He is a centre-forward. I know he can play out wide, and he's played mm-hmm. out wide successfully for the Revs and into Miami and what have you, but he is naturally a centre-forward, and, and he has that natural instinct of, of what to do and what position to take up when you're inside the box. A supporting striker is not necessarily that person. Um, and the supporting striker will tend to tend to operate on the on the cusp of the penalty area. Um, and again, when Minnesota were away at Vancouver in Salt Lake, myself and Kendra were, were obviously fortunate enough to be in the stadium. And I remember Adrian Heath screaming at Anu, telling him to get in between the, the centre halves, telling him to, to be in the box. If that was his natural game, that wouldn't need to be said. Okay, sometimes you can pull yourself out of position. Sometimes you you drop deeper to get a touch as a centre-forward and whatnot, but I, it just doesn't look natural to me. He, his positioning doesn't look natural to that of a centre-forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just wonder if um, if this is the signing that people said. So, um, like I said, when I had seen all of this, I wasn't convinced that he was a centre-forward. And I went and spoke to a few people about him and, and certainly people on, on the staff at Minnesota, and, and they had all 
said to me that they, they think it's the centre forward that they're looking for and what have you. They'll press and, and what have you. So I, I said, OK, well, you guys know more about the game than I do, so I'll, I'll go with what you're saying. And I have to say I disagree at the moment. Um, I think the original plan was, was probably to have Unu playing off of Avila. And Avila didn't work. So um, it, it's, it's a problem right now. because And I, and I feel sorry for, for Unu as well, Steve, because he, he's essentially been asked to play a game that's not natural to him. Um, and it's it's making him not look particularly pleasant at the moment. Um, and I feel sorry for him. And also as well, Steve, what I, what I have to absolutely add as well is is I felt sorry for him about five or six games ago when it was clear Reynoso was far too deep and he wasn't providing the service for Unu. Unu makes fabulous secondary runs and, and sacrificial runs. Um, but I think he's, I, I, I just don't think he's a natural centre forward. The way that I've seen him over the last 10, 11 games, Steve, it just doesn't seem like he's a natural centre forward. I'm not saying he can't learn and, and become a threat in front of goal, um, but right now it seems awfully forced. And, and I, I wonder if, if that's going to continue to be a problem for Minnesota United. I, I will say, Steve, I do think once he gets a goal, I, I hope he becomes a bit more confident in himself because he is lacking sharpness. He is lacking confidence at the moment. And I do think it's one of these things that if he does score a goal, maybe he'll be a little more confident in himself because right now he is looking a little unsure of himself and things just don't seem very natural. So um, we'll wait and see. I know they believe in him big time. They spent enough money on him. They believe in him for sure. You don't spend that amount of money if you don't think someone's any good. So we'll wait and see, Steve. But um, I've never seen a centre forward who is as in need of a goal as Adrian Unu. And, and I say that phrase, I don't say it lightly, um, I say centre-forward in need of a goal. I'm not convinced he's a centre-forward. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how Minnesota plan to, to conquer this issue because it's not something you can you can fix overnight at all. Mm-hmm. Let's, uh, but we're going to continue that with uh, in the lens of the, the Houston game. But uh, first, when injury takes you out of the game, it's time for your team to step up at Alina Health Orthopedics. You'll get expert care backed by a whole health system of providers with convenient locations, virtual options, and an app that gives you 24-7 access to your records, test results, and care team. You're always close to the care you need. Schedule now at alinahealth.org slash ortho. Um, yeah, I think with regards to, to UNU, you know, I sort of wonder if there's not some of the same, um, you know, we've. I think I've talked before about the comparison to Lud coming in in his first season, having come out of, um, you know, sort of being off and then having to get up to speed really quickly and, and Unu having some of that same thing. And then now, you know, Lud also, Lud also had that thing of playing on the left side, which he was like, I can do it. I've done it. And it just didn't look great. You know, it's like it was fine, but it wasn't awesome. And then he moved to the right side and then he's looked spectacular and in his false nine role as well. Um, If there's not some of that same thing with some of that same thing in both ways with the new going on that he, you know, he sort of needs a full off season to kind of, you know, settle in and, you know, it's just going to take a while. Like, I don't know if it clicks uh, at some point during this season um, with regards to that sort of comfortability Uh, and then positionally, like, can he play, is there a way for him to play that secondary striker role? Um, let's talk about that possibility with regards to Houston, because again, we've got this game coming up against Houston, uh, no Emmanuel Reynoso. So you have no, 
clear number 10 sort of to pull the strings. Uh, you're going to be missing Bakai Dibasi because he's out with yellow card accumulation. Um, you've got two weeks coming after this to sort of, you know, get everybody rested and recovered. So obviously there's no, you know, Adrian has said this before with regards to different players. Why rush a player back for one game if you can get them more rest on the other end of it? I'm sure that's part of what's going into the calculation for Reynoso. Um, like I don't, as far as I know, Reynoso has no, you know, extreme injury. It's like it's an accumulation of bumps and bruises and sort of getting, uh, you know, ganged up on. So why not give him this time to to rest? Uh, Houston is a very hard place to play. We've seen it. Uh, it's just an unpleasant place to be. It's August in Texas, and it's going to be you know, brutal. So the question to my mind is, you know, what do, what do you do here? Do you go to, we've seen the four, three, three as a formation shift. Uh, that's a little more conservative. Um, I think it also plays into some strengths right now. I think if you're looking at the midfield with Ozzy looks pretty good, Hassani, Will, um, Jan, Jacori, they've all at different points looked really good, better than that front four. Why don't you put your strength into the midfield rather than worrying about that? Maybe you can play Unu out on the left wing, you know, uh, maybe you put Patrick Weah at forward, which would be crazy. But again, you know, what, what are your options? Do you go to a four, four, two? I don't think, I don't think Minnesota United's ever really straight up played a four, four, two. We may, we've seen four, one, four, one. Uh, we've maybe you've seen it function in some ways like that, but you've rarely seen, you know, if you have Wea and Unu both out there as, as forwards, what about the three, five, two, that was another formation that was played to some acclaim by the team uh, a couple of years back. Uh, I don't even know if you really have three full on center backs. You probably have to then play Yuka uh, Raitala and uh, Brent and uh, Boxel as your, as your three center backs. So I don't know um, what, uh, you know, maybe you play Justin McMaster. Both McMaster and Wea came mm -hmm. on late. Um, you know, obviously, I think they have qualities that can be good. I think it's a little tough to entrust a full 90 minutes necessarily. Uh, and you don't have a lot of other options <laughs> uh, beyond that in terms, of, in terms of attacking players. But, you know, what do you think you do in a game like this going to Houston, Cal, where it's sort of there's sort of no tomorrow and there's also all tomorrow. It's like, this is this one game that sort of sits on an Island because you've got this, this two weeks off after that. What do you, what do you do with this? Well, because of the limitations, obviously Minnesota will have to adjust slightly, as you mentioned, no Emmanuel Reynoso, which, which will force them into a different look. Um, it's, what is it? 2.45 on a Tuesday, Steve. So I've not seen, I was up at training today, but there was certainly no indication of any lineup today. Right. Start too early for that. But it wouldn't surprise me at all if Adrian Heath went with the 4-3-3 on the road, which he has done in the past. Um, and it wouldn't surprise me if the midfield trio is, you know, something like a Will Trapp, Jan Gregush, Ozzy Alonso, or, or Jacory Hayes, or um, something along those lines. You know, we, Minnesota have an abundance of central midfielders. That That's not an issue. That's an area that, that you are absolutely okay with. You mentioned Dibassi will be unavailable due to yellow card accumulation. So Brent Coleman's the obvious candidate to, to slot back in, as he should do. I thought he was incredibly unfortunate mm -hmm. to not play against Kansas City this past weekend. And you would assume he'd be alongside Boxall with Metany on the right, Gasper on the left, and that back line would be set. The question mark continues to be an attack. What do you do? If it is a 4-3-3, it wouldn't surprise me if he had Ethan Fenlay on the right-hand side, Adrian Unu as the focal point at centre-forward. Um, and then on the left-hand side is, is the big question. Does he go with Juan Agudelo or does he give Justin McMaster the opportunity, you know? So that, that's the million-dollar question there is what he does. If, if it was me, Steve, I must admit, I would see this, <clears throat> I would see this gives me as an opportunity to, to go to continue with a 4-2-3-1, but 
but perhaps have Unu in the deeper role and, and sort of semi-have it as a 4-4-2 as well in transition. Mm-hmm. And you have Unu underneath Agudelo. And you play, you know, I can see him still playing Dotson out wide because Houston, with a 4-3-3, will again continue to play that, that singular six, which, as I said earlier on, can be beneficial. So I could see Dotson out wide on the left. I could see Finlay on the right. I would go Unu underneath Agudelo playing as a supporting striker. Um, I could see that for sure. That 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 would um, that would be what I would do anyway. But I'm no I'm no soccer tactician, <laughs> um, and and I'll be interested to see Steve because again I asked Adrian Heath earlier on and I asked Michael Boxall as well. Given the results over the course of the last few weeks, that there is importance on this Houston game that there really shouldn't be, but there is, and because there is expectation of this franchise now. And Houston, to my knowledge, last time I looked, they were unbeaten, or they hadn't won, sorry, in, in 13 games. They're undergoing a bit of a torrid spell. So, so there is expectation to go and win this kind of game. It doesn't matter about the heat. And Adrian Heath will say that as well. The heat, the heat can, can be used as an excuse. Yeah. Um, so I'm interested, Steve. But, but the good thing is, is that even with the limitations that Minnesota have, they do have options. No Robin Lourdes, Reynoso, Fragapane, to, to my knowledge, um, all... I'd be surprised if any of them were involved. I think the, the thought process there is that they'll give them the extra week in terms of recovery, given the international break is next week. And, and why yeah. wouldn't you? There's still a long way to go in the season. Um, so we'll see. Uh, I, I can see Adrian going with a 4-3-3. Um, but like I said, I think it's a good opportunity to try Unu playing off of a centre-forward. And, and given the limitations again, um, Agudelo would, would lead the line for me, but um, we'll, we'll wait and see. It wouldn't surprise me if it's a four-three-three, Steve. It'll be um, it'll be interesting. Four-three-three is what he's opted to go with on the road in the past. Um, it's a very counter-pressing formation, um, and I can see them having to be a little more reserved from time to time because it's an away game. And, and I, I know I just said the, the heat can be used as an excuse, and, and it and it can be, but it you know the fullbacks will have to be reserved because of it. Um, but I, uh, I think it'll be four-three-three. But as I said, Steve, um, if it was up to me, I, I would go with a four-two-three-one, and have uh, Avunu in that secondary supporting striker role. I like that idea. I, I, I think I agree that I think there's the the four-three-three is probably the slightly better bet based on past um, experience. Um, and again, that the you know obviously you can say you can't use the heat as an excuse, but it's hot. <laughs> It's 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 going to be brutal, um, and you know there's just something about playing a little more conservatively that probably benefits you. Uh, again, Houston's a hard place to win, no matter what the expectations are. Like getting a draw would be great, but I mean, as as Adrian always always says, I'll take a point on the road, but that point's going to feel terrible because you've just taken you know a pair of points from two games that you that feel like you should have been able to win so that's tough i like the idea of the 4231 with sort of a kind of a functional 442 in some ways and i think maybe it would be really a chance for unu to show some of what he can do uh dropping a little deeper staying a little more on the edge of the the, the penalty box um i think it could be i think it could be good for him and personally i would want to see mcmaster on the left you know like i think it's it's one of those situations where there's been times in the past where Adrian has, you know, he's rarely going to throw, unless you're talking about international friendlies, open cups, something like that. He's not going to throw in a bunch of guys who don't play regularly together. But he is, you know, sort of surgically chosen 
okay, this guy, maybe he's not quite ready, but let's see how he does. And he'll put one guy out there that's a little bit unusual, you know, like, and 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 see how how that fits in with the team. And this could be the chance for, for Justin McMaster to do that. You know, I think it's the thing that DJ Taylor did earlier this season, like to step in and play and do well. And then he sort of held his spot for a little while. Um, you know, I, I think it's a chance for McMaster, who showed some great stuff early on in the season, uh, to get out there and show what he's got. Uh, it's it's going to be a fun game. It's a, it's one I'm glad I'm not traveling to Houston to, to do anything with. So, <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. Look, it's going to be interesting. It's never easy going down to Houston, um, but um, I think given their their run at the moment, I think this has got to be viewed as an opportunity for Minnesota United for sure. Um, and as I said, given the fact that the way the last couple of results have gone, there's a bit more emphasis on this game than there really should be at this stage of the season. So we'll wait and see. But if this team wants to be a top four team, if they want to have a home playoff game come season's end, uh, I think these are the types of games they've really got to win. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for joining us for the 155th Sound of the Loons podcast presented by Alina Health Orthopedics. Be sure to leave us a nice review on iTunes or at the very least a five-star rating and follow the team on Twitter at MNUFC. I keep forgetting that I put at the very least a five-star rating as like a joke and now I just say it and I'm like, I don't even know if anybody's ever left us a rating. So I, I should check in on that. I think we've gotten some 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 good feedback. I'm sure your dad gave us a five-star rating. So uh, Always does, yes. Thanks, Glenn. Um, you can follow Cal at CalWilliams.com and me at Steve Enteris. Apologies, as always, to Richard Wagner. And remember... There's only one person in this whole world like you. People can like you exactly as you are. <laughs>